It's a Sunday release for this week's show, and so we're, it's over a week ago. Has the excitement settled down of that fine derby victory? Nope. Still absolutely magic. Just a really, really, really special moment, that I thought. Where, where did you watch the game, Ed? At home on the big telly, yeah, I was I was in the country just about, and yeah, it was very good. And you know, emotions, of course. You know, City dominating the first few minutes of the game, and United roaring back into it with the two goals, and then City getting back, and it felt like there was a certain sense of inevitability that City would win the game at one point, didn't it? And obviously, a fine strike from Van Persie right at the end to snatch it—the the best way to secure victory in a derby, I think. I mean, we keep doing that, don't we? But the the recriminations and the fallout afterwards at Eastlands have been quite amusing. I mean, I. Think I think it's fair to say that if if I could have written a sort of script for that, I would have said, yeah, last minute Van Persie winner, please. And and it actually happened. It felt like the stuff of dreams. So let's go back to an hour before the game and the United team sheet was announced and size of relief all round as Jisung Park's name was nowhere to be seen, either literally or metaphorically. This was the opposite of the surrender at Eastlands at the end of last season. Ferguson set out his stall very early on to go for it. We were benefited by the paternal activities of Anders Lindegaard I'm pretty sure De Gea would have been the keeper anyway but there was no chance of Lindegaard sneaking in and from that position out throughout the team it felt like a really exciting attacking lineup. Yes, it did. Look, Ferguson could have gone the other way, even without Park Ji-sung, because Giggs and Skulls could have played, Phil Jones could have played in midfield. There were all sorts of options to, for the tactical tombola to turn up. For some strange reason, maybe the, the stroke on the other side of Fergie's brain has equalised things out. He actually picked a sensible, balanced attacking side. You go with the stroke argument, which is perhaps slightly disrespectful to the great man, but, you know, I actually think this was the the pain of that surrender and, and the tacit acknowledgement that he'd made a mistake at the back end of last season. And also, he, Absolutely. he probably looked at the options and thought, well, do you know what? We, we have really struggled to engineer any kind of solidity all season this season, so, well, we might as well go for it because City also vulnerable, you know? They, they don't have the same aura that they had this time last uh, well, at the back end of last season by any stretch of the imagination. And although, as you say, they, they did put United under a lot of pressure in the first 15 minutes. I can't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted my exact emotions at that point, which is they were quite glad to see that in a way, because every time we've had these big games and come out of the blocks absolutely raring in the first 10 minutes, we've battered the opposition. We've then really sat back and sunk in and the game sort of swung away from us. And this was really the other way around, because after that 15 minute period, the game became unrecognisable and there was a good half an hour leading up to half time where United just bust it very true yeah uh, coming coming back to the Ferguson thing yeah I'm I'm obviously jesting I put a piece on the blog this week in one of the very few spare moments I have had over the last week of international travel praising Ferguson for his kind of gambling instincts he's taken a decision this season a very bold one that United will play attacking creative football in almost every game I mean not every every game but almost every game when he, when he hasn't messed around with the tactics United have generally played a sort of 4-2-3-1 or variations of, of which with a a lot of attacking players and gone for it and, and that openness has caused problems at the back and I, I think it will continue to cause problems throughout the season uh, even with Vidic back but he got his rewards against City he could definitely have gone the other way and that, that's the thing with gambling you know the higher the stakes the, the bigger the losses and, and we'll see when it comes to the knockout stages of Champions League and key games at the back end of the season whether it works out but for now loads of praise due to Ferguson for being bold and, and as much as we criticise that, that uh, team against 
against City at Eastlands last April, and, and rightly so. And actually, I think in the mainstream media, Ferguson didn't get nearly enough criticism for how cowardly that lineup was. The the boldness of his choice this time out got its rewards. You know, fantastic to see cleverly in there and all the attacking players basically, and and rewarded with some really fine attacking football. Three goals at the the Champions' first defeat for City in a, at home in the league for a couple of years. You know, it doesn't get much bigger than that, and uh, great stuff as a result. And to see the almost the opposite uh, at City over the past week, whereas United have been buoyed by this victory, and City have been arguing amongst themselves. You know, Joe Hart's people clearly briefing the press that Mancini had blamed him, at least in part, for the winning goal, and and Nasri's cowardice in diving behind his own players and sort of lazily sticking out a boot. You know, it's uh, it's all good to see, and and nicely damaging, I think, for Mancini's men. So if you take yourself back to the game, that first fifteen minutes when City had all that pressure. I actually thought that our defensive unit was extremely effective and they were all really switched on. Johnny Evans absolute man mountain in that first half he was just he was everywhere he stopped everything and and the few times when they had really dangerous opportunities our defenders were sort of equal to them you know there, there was there was a real a real real quality there Aguero had that one mazy run where he sort of bobbled the ball and dribbled through everyone and then put in not such a great shot which De Gea stopped easily De Gea excellent against crosses just dominant in the, in his box this is slightly extraordinary and of course he made that wonderful double save before Torre's goal and United United were just once they got into the game through that marvellous counter-attack gorgeous interplay between Van Persie and Ashley Young the much maligned Ashley Young who had a, a very good game indeed uh, the Eastlands and then we got the breakthrough from that Rooney shot and so the first question I have I had is do you, do you think that was the shot he was meaning or do you think it was a bit of a scuff I, I thought he meant it myself I thought he was aiming in that direction, yeah, and he put it through the, the player's legs, didn't he? So he just didn't hit it clean, basically, which is fine, you know. He, he got it where it needed to be. Uh, on De Gea, he, I thought he was excellent, and uh, we'll come on to the Sunderland game, excellent there too. And You know, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he, he got dropped for having bad teeth at one point in this stage and sat out five games. Lindegaard's been dropped, it, it would appear, because he's now a father. There's a piece by Daniel Taylor in The Guardian a week or so ago, basically arguing this is one of the most indecisive points in Ferguson's career. And I think that's right. I find it barely comprehensible, Ferguson's decision-making over the goalkeeper. I can't explain it at all, because if it, if it was based on form, uh, then you'd make an argument. But it's not at all. He's just rotating at random. I wonder whether he's actually tossing a coin. He's probably not actually tossing a coin. I mean, the, the one thing about this debate that is so confusing is that there's such a clear answer. It's it's just not, there's no mystery to it whatsoever. The answer is play De Gea every game unless he's injured, unless it's, you know, give give Lindegaard some cup games and a few games against the lesser teams in the Premier League to keep him happy because he's excellent cover. It, it is genuinely ridiculous that you would not consider De Gea your unquestionable first choice goalkeeper and you let him make his mistakes that he's going to make because he's a young man and he's learning his trade and he's going to earn you loads more points than he costs you over the course of the season so you just you just play him every week and I, I I really don't get why it's an issue for Ferguson that's the thing that's most confusing unless he sort of rates Lindegaard too highly to make him his official second keeper and he knows that Lindegaard is going to jog on you know as soon as if he if he gets word that that's it he is United's number two so what you know, is he getting enough for that to matter? No, I don't the, think the so. The thing is, 
If if both players are available for transfer, De Gea will be going to Barcelona or Real Madrid or another top European side, and he'll prove himself to be a top keeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lindegaard won't. He, he would be at a, a mid-ranked Premier League side. You know, if he went to Stoke, he'd probably be do all, do all right there. And that's not disrespectful. You know, he's a good player. But if our ambitions is is for United to be the best in in England and the best in Europe, then I'm not sure he's at that level. No, and De Gea clearly is. You know, I mean, he's not mistake-free yet, but he's getting closer and closer and closer. Two excellent games. So, you know, another rank cast goes by, another discussion about the goalkeepers. I think everyone knows what our positions on these are, but I guess every week we get new listeners. So, hello, new listeners. Welcome to the show. And you can expect to hear us talk about this pretty much every week for the rest of the season, unless Ferguson makes the decision that he sh- I mean, I think he should be making, and I don't understand why he isn't. You know, that's, that's the key thing. Sometimes, you know, when you disagree with someone, you really can see their point of view. And, and even though you think they're making, they're drawing the wrong conclusion, you can see what the arguments that they're balancing up are and why they've got to that point but with this one I I just don't see it I don't see the counter argument no so here's a question we don't get asked very often what is Phil Jones's best position now I'm I'm kidding Um, of course play play it right back against Sunderland so that City game the second goal another fine goal United really 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 on top of that point and I was just kind of gritting my teeth come on lads hold on to half time because how many times have we seen it where we we lose a goal just before half time the whole momentum shifts I think that would have been absolutely crucial in this game but even though that didn't happen the momentum definitely did shift and uh, City with their ample attacking resources at their disposal finally broke down our stubborn resistance defence with uh, some good fortune a, a favourable bounce of the ball but also you know just very composed play because you know when you, you see sides that are not the very top sides in those situations where you get the double save and there's a goal mouth scramble and then the second ball comes out it's not that often that that ends up going in the back of the net you know you, you, you quite often see mid the midfielder that that comes out to sky it or you know Tom Tom cleverly it as it should perhaps be called yeah and also that, that gives you a lesson in defence that kind of second ball doesn't it and if you don't do that very well there are consequences one of the strange things I thought about that game because although United did have a a period of great play through the the middle part of the game I suppose one of the characteristics of United's play this season has been retention of possession and we didn't do that very well against City we made chances and we broke very well we had some possession but it was at 40 I'm recalling this off the top of my head I think it's 44 or something percent but actually the retention of the ball uh, was nowhere near as good as in previous games this season United have averaged over 50 55% possession but more importantly over 85% successful pass rates and it was way lower against City and in part that was because United were trying to play on the break and playing a few longer balls than normal but also that City managed to really really you know crank up the pressure in midfield through that sort of middle 60 minutes. But I mean I find that that's that sort of strangely reassuring because I I'm, I would say that that's our best performance this season so far as a team and City are by far the toughest opposition in the Premier League and we were at their place and so yeah that they they had possession and and some of our passing was a little more astray but I do think that was indicative of the way we were playing because we weren't trying to play that full possession domination style which you know it only works to 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 a limited extent we're not Barcelona 
you know, we don't pass teams to death in that way. Our, our, pass, our ball retention's been excellent this season and long may that continue sort of thing. But it was good that plan B was so effective and sort of showed United at their best, really. Just fully determined, much more switched on defensively as a unit. I mean, oh, the City goals, you could argue. I mean, I, I think the, the first goal, defending the second ball against, which bounced out to Yaya, with that amount of chaos and the double save from De Gea and just the sheer momentum and pressure, it was a very difficult situation to defend. The Zabaleta goal, I agree. Somebody, there surely should have been somebody pushing out and getting closer to him. That that was slightly poor, but as a unit, I thought we def- I thought it was an excellent. Even though we conceded two, it was one of our better defensive performances of the season, no question. And as an attacking force, we looked incredibly potent on the counter attack. Partly because Ashley Young was effective, as opposed to massively ineffective, which are his two settings. Well, he was a bit, he was effective on the break, and he actually did his job defensively, which was important. Actually, if you if you look back at uh, the heat map of Ashley Young's position, he starts off in a much deeper position than Antonio Valencia on the other side, for example. So, and that's because quite clearly uh, in the game against Reading, he was negligent. And I'm sorry, I keep going on about this, but it was it was shocking, and he did his job properly, you know. And and that's that's where Ashley Young can be effective, you know, when he, he's an all-round player. Uh, sure, he's a one-trick pony, but he can be effective as a United player, and, and that. That was a game in which he was effective. Yeah, and he actually showed off a few tricks. The, the the interplay with Van Persie for the first goal was just very stylish and lovely and, you know, technically wonderful. And then a lovely ball into Rooney as well, you know. So that was good, good, nice, nice mixture of stuff. I, I want to talk about the shape a bit attacking-wise because Valencia's had two two games uh, in the last week and, and played very poorly in both of those games. And I think in the City game, that there wasn't too much good about Valencia's performance, except that he creates such an effective structure and no coincidence that our second goal came from work from Valencia albeit not the final ball from Valencia or the beating the man from Valencia just literally him running and standing in the right place and making the space for Raphael because they're such an effective partnership yeah, I mean, he, he gives United balance because, you know, you know where he is. Uh, I, his confidence seems to have gone at the moment. I mean, he rarely takes on a player, and when he does, he puts in a very poor cross. Uh, counting them up, one, two, three, four, five, six poor crosses from Antonio Valencia against City. He, he actually didn't put in a successful cross, which is uh, a little surprising, I suppose, given that he's, he's made that many attempts. Uh, and an awful lot of balls where he's laid it back, you know. He looks like he's going to take on the fullback, and he almost chickens out, and that feels like a confidence thing, doesn't it? because he's got all the tools to take on players and if he's not doing it that's because he's he's uh, he's worried about doing it doesn't have the confidence to do it and and his final product isn't very good at the moment you know he's he's not having a wonderful season really which is a shame because we know there's so much more in there I, I would never bracket Antonio Valencia as quote-unquote world-class because I think there are there are quite clearly limitations to his game. But when he's in full flow and confident, it, he's a very, very effective performer for United, you know. And we just want him to be in full flow and confident. And at the moment, he's not quite that. Absolutely, and if anything, it got worse, not better, against Sunderland. It was a weaker opposition and just absolutely terrible decision-making time after time and just approaching the fullback and stopping and letting the overlap come and, you know, just being much... I mean, you know, there's no fullback in the world that wouldn't rather you stopped and waited for the overlap than ran at him with your full tank-like physique and pace, you know. that's It's it's mysterious what's going on with Valencia. He was bad against City and terrible against Sunderland, I think. But against City he was also vital paradoxically because of the the as you say people always know where he's going to be and he did 
still cause some problems off the ball, albeit he didn't cause any real problems with the ball. Rooney and Van Persie, it's exciting, Ed. It's really, you know, I've got kind of childlike wonder at the at them working so well together and obviously getting on together sort of on, on and off the pitch. Rooney clearly looks up to Van Persie and, and Van Persie's very, I don't know, it's just every inch the United player in the, it's incredible. He's, he's all kind of class, Van Persie. I mean, he's off the pitch, on the pitch. And at 24 million for the 29-year-old, he's feeling like a bargain at the moment, isn't he? I mean, of course, if he gets injured and, and his performances deteriorate as he gets older, then he might not do. But right at the moment, it's a fantastic, fantastic signing. And, and if only Rooney could find the net a little more often, because he's being a bit wasteful at the moment. He's just scored, he's just scored three, go- three goals in the last two games. I know, but quite clearly he should have had about seven. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Given, given the amount of chances he's had. Uh, so, yeah, still a bit wasteful. But, yeah, as a pair, absolutely fantastic. And, and it's really important because uh, in wide areas, United are uh, relatively weak at the moment. Obviously, Nani is out of favour, stroke injured, you know, either all. Valencia out of form and, and Young, you know, very patchy, although the last two games, obviously, pretty good. So it's it's important that, that those two are in form. It's great that Cleverly's back as well and playing well. Uh, Michael Carrick obviously left the game early against Sunderland, but I think he's had two very good games against City and, and Sunderland as well before, before leaving the pitch and so that that's good and, and Ferguson said this week that um, people criticise our midfield but there's some very good players there there are some very good players when Cleverly's fit and playing well and when Carrick's fit and playing well uh, it's it's when you play 38 year old Paul Scholes uh, all the momentum sucked out of the game when he came on against Sunderland 40 year old Ryan Giggs and a perennially injured Anderson and then you you know you're into sick boy Fletcher and so there's no depth there but yeah Rooney Van Persie excellent couple of midfielder central midfielders coming into form and, and it's been the basis of United's two victories in the past week. Yeah, absolutely. So a word for the the way that Carrick and Cleverly performed. Carrick just everywhere defensively so incredibly important nicking nicking everything off the toes of, of City he sort of spoiled their attacking play often it was it was really nice to see and cleverly got his reward against Sunderland with a, a lovely goal but but two fine performances in a row from him as well and that does look to be the the partnership of the moment doesn't it in last season Skulls and Carrick the season before that anything other than Skulls and Carrick but this season we, we do seem to be in that territory I, I do like cleverly in that in that sort of central midfield role rather than further forward I, I'm not actually sure he's he's got everything to be a great player further forward I think uh, his energy and his ability to you know, recycle possession really really quickly and pass and move and uh, he can pass it long yes but it's, he's even better when he passes it short and uh, creates angles with his passes and so I, th- I think he could be a really good player in that position I think he'd be an okay player further forward and, and no better than that and definitely not a wide player so that's good it still does leave United a bit lightweight in midfield doesn't it and uh, and then that puts Michael Carrick under pressure and, and you know he's he was good against City and and very good against Sunderland I don't think he's had his best season for United I thought he had an excellent season last year and and I wonder whether that's uh, where Ferguson could augment his squad and, you know, with a sort of bit more of a physical presence in there and something of a defensive-minded player. And I think oh, that really, would really that would com- that... almost complete the package, wouldn't it? You know, and United would be a fine side then. Is, is that what your opinion on the subject is, Ed? I didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like to come up with a different one each week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then we'd conceded the two. And I think, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how pessimistic United fans have become as a collective but I I certainly thought that I would have been very happy to get out of there at two all it felt like you know it felt horrible because also you know City have 
whether we like to admit this or not, they've made it a feature of their play. It's a distinctive city characteristic at the moment that they come from behind and snatch last-minute winners. This is this has become a thing that they do. Uh, and it, of all the things that we've got that I don't want them to have, that might be the number one. And perhaps the difference between United this season and last season stepped up and Rooney asked him, what are you going to do? And he said, I think, I think I'll have a shot. And he said in the post-match interview, Rooney had said, are you going to pass it or shoot? And I said, I think I'll have a shot. And then you can see if you've got any kind of lip reading ability, that is literally what he said. I think I'm going to shoot or something like that. It was it was beautiful. And and then he shot. And Nasri was um, like very poor in the wall indeed, wasn't he? I mean, I think I think the hiding behind Jeko thing's been slightly exaggerated because I think Jeko steps forward slightly and Nasri sort of finds himself there and reacts really badly by just sticking the leg out and ruining any chance Joe Hart would have had of saving it, sending United fans into absolute raptures and sending City fans off the deep end well you know I think if you're a team player you just take it in the face then don't you and and obviously Nasri has this reputation of being uh, extremely selfish and having a very poor personality and that he gets on with very few people he's uh, routinely hated in the French squad and, and wherever he plays you know because people just don't like him and his kind of cowardice there I, I think he did move behind the wall uh, he turned his back on the, the shot and then he just flicks up a leg and there's an awful lot of blame there he could have just taken that in the face and City don't concede the goal as simple as that just stand still take it and I think most players would have done that and actually uh, Tevez got some blame for walking away although it seems that Joe Hart told him to go away which is fine the keeper wants to wants to see it and Hart's beaten on his own side so he takes some blame too but Van Persie takes a lot of credit doesn't he hit it very sweetly very very clean hit you know and, and obviously the the power as as well as the deflection takes it into the goal but if you're Mancini you're annoyed because that goal is definitely preventable Oh yeah, absolutely, but if you're a United fan, you're undescribably delighted, because it just, I don't know, it felt like an important signifier of some fundamental change at the club. I don't know, I don't want to overstate it, but, and and unquestionably, like, you're right, knockout stages of the Champions League, we're still going to be, most likely going to be found wanting, still a massive Roy Keane-shaped hole in the middle of the side. But apart from that, there is an awful lot right with the United squad at the moment. And one of the reasons that the balance tips towards, you know, good rather than bad is just the difference that Van Persie makes. As you say, you know, if he gets injured, that's... And he is 29 and he has had a a career full of injury. So it's fairly likely to happen at some point. But for now, he just makes us... He makes us a different team. And it's just... It was amazing. There was a wonderful moment where I did think that Rio Ferdinand had punched him himself in the face while trying to celebrate flapping his shirt about but sadly that was not what had happened and a horrible City fan had horribly hit him with a coin on the head yeah as it, as Ferdinand said on Twitter great shot what a shot he was, uh, yeah hit him from about 20 yards away which was a, a very good shot some absolute ridiculousness in the papers and I've got to say some unbelievably poor journalism to somehow uh, blame Ferdinand for celebrating in front of the City fans when he's quite clearly celebrating in front of his own fans and and even to the point where the Daily Mail basically suggested that uh, players shouldn't be allowed to celebrate goals anymore. Go home, stop watching football. You've got no right to watch football anymore. Just bloody don't read that paper. I, I've got to say, it's just ridiculous. So if players can't celebrate a goal anymore, what's the point? What's the point? And then the PFA, Gordon Taylor, comes up and says, let's start putting nets in front of the goals. Yeah. And why don't we cage the fans as well? You know, and make, perhaps we could search all the fans, make sure they don't have any coins or, in fact, you know, any personality before they get into the game. You know, obviously ridiculous from City fans but the reaction to that is not you're not allowed to celebrate a goal and let's cage all the fans in 
No, and, and you know, there's no uh, holier-than-thou tit-for-tat going on. Craig Bellamy got absolute pelters, didn't he, when he was uh, taking a corner and United fans lobbing the entire contents of their pockets at him. Yeah. You know what? It can be quite funny when you lob a few things at players. Coins are not funny because it's going to cause serious injury. You know, go do, do it Barcelona-style. Throw a pig's head or something like that, you know? Or oranges. Oranges are a favourite one in Spain, you know? I think that's all right. You're not really going to injure anyone, but, but coins, not good. I, I can't attribute this to anyone because I was tweeted it about 47,000 times in the, the hours that followed the City game. But typical City fan throwing money at the problem. <laughs> it's never not funny, that joke, even the 173rd time. Yes, exactly. Although a 2p coin, which was rather disappointing. Yeah, Rio, Rio said could have been at least been a pound. Very classy response from Rio, obviously. He's a, he's good at that nowadays, isn't he? He's, uh, he's pretty great at maintaining his public image. But a, a very good performance as well, and really everyone in the United side apart from Valencia came out of that game with great credit. Another phenomenal shift from Rafael, and just just a potentially season-defining moment. That that last-minute winner, that the pure Manchester Unitedness of it all. As as you like to say, it's it's a narrative, isn't it? And I, I think it could be by the end of the season a, a really defining moment for both clubs, given the reaction of of each club afterwards and what's been happening. Uh, interesting quote from Shea Given this week, uh, where he said that uh, Mancini just leaves players out and and offers no explanation for it, and and it appears he's quite aloof. And I think he's engendering a, an atmosphere in the Manchester City squad where they blame each other, you know, because he's not taking leadership. And I I'd, I'm not I won't be surprised in the slightest when he goes next summer I'm surely he will he has no loyalty to club and I'm quite sure that even though um, Sheikh Mansour and, and the rest of the owners who've who've tried to create a situation of stability as opposed to Abramovich at Chelsea uh, they, they will lose patience if, if, if City fail this season as it looks like they might you know, it's an interesting thing because the whole thing about creating sustainable long-term legacy versus chopping and changing your manager every day is it's a really difficult balance to strike to find the right man to do it. I think there's just no way Mancini's the right man to do it. I was thinking about his presence on the touchline compared to Ferguson. And Mancini makes everything about him. You know, Ferguson's got a pretty substantial ego on him, I think it's fair to say. But he does not express it at the expense of his players. You know, that happens behind the scenes. He lets his ego... The problems that Fergie's ego causes are about fundamental relationships and you know all that the, like the selling of yap stamp that sort of thing you know these massive flashpoints but with Mancini it's like every game his reaction to Balotelli's back heel which didn't come off of just like petulantly waving his arms and get him off get him off you know is it, properly pathetic it's like Mario Balotelli is not the one being petulant in that moment it's the grown up that's supposed to be running the club that's doing it and all the kind of you know elaborate gesticulations and you know he, he's really I'm not surprised that Shea Gibbons said he leaves his players out to dry because there isn't that sense of collective there isn't that sense of you know the team is more important than me with Mancini it's it's and it's different to Mourinho as well because Mourinho does it but like Mourinho like really loves all his players and is very expressive with them and builds them up and forms powerful bonds and is the leader of the gang but there's definitely a gang there you know it's anyway I I just don't think Mancini's particularly impressive manager really so look we've had 45 minutes of chat on the City United derby and we should probably move on because there was another game this week although it, it doesn't feel anywhere near as important did it although, although a nice little bit of tension pre-game of course uh, with a reminder that Sunderland fans uh, after City won the title last season did the Poznan that's how small time they are and, and so there was a little bit of an edge to this game I mean never much of an edge with Sunderland of course g- given that the squad's packed with red rejects and, and Sunderland aren't very good and we beat them every time we play them 
basically, but nice to get a little bit of revenge, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it looked like the gloves might have been off at one point and that Sunderland would have barely been able to walk out of Old Trafford, but that, that didn't come to pass because Ferguson rightly prioritised the Christmas period over the glory of a 6-0 trouncing when he took off Carrick and brought on Skulls and everything sort of changed and settled and it became a, m- a much more drab affair in the second half. But the first half performance really did live up to... I mean, it was a bit after the Lord Mayor's show, but, but I thought that first half was really excellent, Ed. Some really great attacking play, yeah. I, m- I managed to uh, listen to this game on the radio on my iPhone coming back from the airport. And, and had to watch it again later in order to get a full view of the game. Uh, but yeah, excellent attacking play from United in the first half. Really the only thing that kept Sunderland even nearly in it was uh, wastefulness of the players. I mean, Patrice Evra should have buried one. Rooney should have buried one. There are a few other really good chances. If it had been 4 or 5 nil at half-time, that would have been a fair reflection of United's dominance in that opening period. I think I tweeted after seeing the game that United's front six versus Sunderland's back four wasn't even fair. And it really wasn't, you know. And, and I think really... Uh, after the game, Ferguson expressed his his kind of annoyance. Once again, it's come, becoming a theme, isn't it, that United were being profligate. And I think that's right, because we're still not really much ahead of City in the goal difference, right? And in fact, I think it might be even at the moment. And and given that Ferguson's entire strategy this season is to make sure that United are ahead of City in goal difference, whatever the actual results, <laughs> then, then, you know, he's failing or we're failing there to score enough goals. And, and this was a real, a real opportunity. And of course, once that hadn't happened, and Ferguson took the sensible decision to, to kind of close the game down and just uh, make sure that key players um, are fit for the, the four games in nine days that are coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, points are more important than goal difference, right? That's the, you know, it's all very well to say his strategy is based on scoring as many goals as possible, which it does seem to be. I think he's realised since we're going to concede so many, that that bit of it might not work. So we're just going to have to uh, win all our games instead. Yeah, someone's finally pointed out the mathematics of that one, hasn't he? You know, (laughs) yeah, interesting. Okay, go and score 5,727 goals this season. Yeah, bit, bit of a problem if you concede quite as many. Young continued his, his good form, Rooney and Van Persie certainly continued their good form, although as you say Rooney was a bit wasteful in front of goal and it was a slightly less impressive Rooney performance, but Van Persie was magical the assist for, I mean, getting slightly emotional talking about it, the, the, when he beat the two, it was poor defending, but just slid through the two Sunderland players in, in the box and just never looked like they could possibly get the ball off him, knocks it across to Rooney. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm not ashamed to say I, I got a bit of a semi. It was pretty good. Yeah, uh, the man crushes full on and I did pose the question on, on Twitter a, a new little ranter on the way uh, and it being a boy uh, whether he should be called Eric or not because you know that's the obvious choice isn't it but quite a Clearly. few quite a few people have said Robin it's too early Ed it's too early for a minute if the quotes there was the beautiful made up quote on Twitter yesterday saying something like Robin Van Persie had said I'm finally home I'd like to apologise to Manchester United I'm sorry I'm late that's what he said and if that had been true if he really had said that then yet yeah, Robin would have been the only option for the kid he'd have had to been lumbered with it Big Red M suggesting yap understandably I don't think you can pull off yap I think that's that's going to be very difficult in the playground Eric Eric is the obvious choice I don't know I don't know what you're going to I don't know what you're going to do I I think I might call him seven there you go (laughs) because it's a nod to the great man but also to George Costanza that's perfect that's right so yeah, very many congratulations and I'm sure I speak on behalf of all the, the Rankcast listeners when I say congratulations to you and Mrs Rant on, on the impending birth of young Eric 
So the Sunderland game also featured unquestionably one of the single worst pieces of defending I've ever seen from a United as a collective. Uh, when the Sunderland goal went in, Fraser Campbell, ex-Red of course, uh, as you might as well just not add ex-Red because if they play for Sunderland they're probably an ex-Red, uh, scored the goal but he was allowed to do so by the fact that I've never seen four players standing in a line switch off when the ball's still in play to that extent. When the ball sort of swings out wide to the left and every single one of them thinks it's going out and their shoulders relax, they start to stroll away as if it's going to be a goal kick and then one by one the collective consciousness switches back on again but by that point it's too late and and Sunderland have scored yeah every single moment of that the the fact that no one went out to the right wing to to protect the cross from coming in from Larson that no one followed up when the cross went long uh, or or found its way through the defence that when they realised that the ball hadn't gone out they all chased the ball like kids in the playground and it it required the simplest of chipped crosses to the back post for Fraser Campbell to basically nod it in on the goal line it was like monumentally bad defending like not just bad defending but like an art project about the concept of bad defending and yeah it was just just watching them all switch off and you're watching it thinking the ball's still in play why are they all acting like the ball's not gone oh Sunderland have scored you know it was it was one of those moments but fortunately it was not costly even though immediately after that he brought gigs on and so we had skulls and gigs in the center of midfield just after they'd come back to 3-1 I did have a slightly shaky moment at that point I must confess talking to geese of course not not sure that little ranter on on the way is actually mine of course until until he comes out if he comes out black or no he's rhymes oh, I can't work out how bad that is on a on a scale of one to ten yeah, of course. Could be could be a little gigs. But, you know, that's all right. You just take credit for his incredible natural footballing talent there, Ed. United fans sang about uh, Owen Hargreaves and, and allowing him to fornicate with their loved ones. What would United fans collectively allow Robin Van Persie to do right now? I really don't want to think about it. I'm not just saying I don't want to think about it. I really, really don't want to think about it. So to avoid thinking about that, we stand six points clear at the top of the table and the squad's looking pretty effective. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson does not believe there's any need to increase the depth or strength of the squad. Says there's definitely not going to be any signings in January. You said at the top of the show, is he right to say that? My question is, is he telling the truth, Ed? Of course, we don't know that one yet. It's, it's rarely the case, isn't it, when it comes to transfers. It might be that they're just trying to uh, put the scent off uh, some signings. Uh, it's well known that United are hunting around for a central defender. So this this one has been given out to their network of agents at, and Jorge Mendes throughout Europe, and, and that might come up with something. We'll see about that one. I, I don't think there's much to be gained from buying in another squad defender, though. I mean, in Smalling, Jones and Evans, they have three you know excellent young players, Evans. I'm not sure you can class him as a young player anymore and in Ferdinand he's having a very good season but still there are mistakes in there and, and Vidic loads and loads of experience still loads of question marks there of course we don't know how well Vidic will come back he was pretty poor I thought so towards the beginning of this season and, and barely played any football over the last 18 months because of two really serious injuries and that nature of those injuries could restrict his mobility and pace as they seem to do in the early part of this season and of course Ferdinand's pace is gone so you know I, I posed the question earlier this year that whether Ferdinand and Vidic could actually play together anymore because I think it will cause United a bit of a problem. I think they'll end up sitting quite deep, which will uh, have knock-on effects elsewhere throughout the side. So uh, if, if I had a wish list, and, and I don't really, but if I had a wish list, it would be for a really top-class central defender and a really top-class defensive midfielder. Of course, you know, that that in today's market costs you £50 million and, and there's really zero chance of that happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I, I would prioritise that destructive force in central midfield over another central defender because I, I think Evans is the absolute 
absolute real deal. That's that's my feeling about it. I mean, I, I could be wrong, and and I've definitely my position on this has changed pretty dramatically based on the last season and a half. I definitely wouldn't have been saying this eighteen months ago. So the thing is, you know, in in your heart, do you think Evans is uh, as good as Ferdinand and Vidic at their peak? No, I, I do. I mean, I don't think he's there yet, but I think he's I think he's on the way to being that good. That's 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 what my heart tells me at the moment. I think he's on the way to being United captain. That's because of the head that he's got on his shoulders off the pitch as well, and uh, the general increase of his presence. I, I mean, I, I I don't think he's there yet though. And so if that's the case, then if if it's about what what we've got right now, then then yeah, you might be right. He's not there yet, and uh, I'm not sure I've seen the evidence that he he will ever get there. Not that I think Evans is. Bad. Bad player, and I, I think he's a very, very fine player. But uh, Ferdinand and Vidic are, are two of the finest Europe has seen in the last decade, and so anything that's not that is a step backwards. Of course, you know, and look, that's an observation, and it's not necessarily something United can obviously fix. And uh, of course, you know, could go and spunk thirty million on Mats Hummels, and and it would be a very good, very good, and very sensible signing. I, I don't see that happening, and and I have to say, I, I don't see a, a major signing coming in. There's a lot of talk about Herrera, and that may well still happen because it's been bubbling around in the background that'd be a sort of defensive midfielder type and that's probably more likely than Strootman who will go for quite a bit more money yeah absolutely I would love to see any of those players come to United but you, you get the feeling that if he's going to buy one of those types of players it's not going to be in a January anyway although of course I always look back at the Vidic and Ever signings when I think about United January signings and there is that great benefit of signing players in January so that by the beginning of the following season they're fully settled in but I don't know it seems like it seems like players are more expensive at that time of year and you know all that kind of stuff and then there's the whole European qualification thing in in there another Ferguson quote this week moving on from transfers well Ferguson related quote Alexander Bootner says that Ferguson loses it so much in the dressing room that he's learnt just to say yes to everything because that's the easiest way of way of dealing with him which is a, a cracking insight into Ferguson I think and you can just imagine the new kid there terrified of Ferguson losing it just going yes boss yes boss yes absolutely boss yes yes Please don't notice I'm clearly not United quality boss. I like Alex Butner a lot, though. He seems like a... I, I, you can see them keeping him around just for the, the general bonhomerie. He, he seems like a likeable character, doesn't he? He, he does seem a likeable character, yes, and uh, shares his Twitter handle with his brother, which is it's, it's kind of weird. It's weird. You know, Post pictures of himself with fans all over the world. Yeah, that's nice. Yes, so I think we should probably move on to some Twitter questions, talking of Twitter. Question from at office underscore monkey. What was the strangest thing you saw when you were in China, Red? Well, they like to cook every part of the animal that we in the West don't eat. Chicken's feet, pig knuckles, brains, various eyeballs, and display it, which is interesting. Did you go for any of that? I tried some weird and wonderful stuff, you know, why not? You're always up for trying new new experiences, as Robin Van Persie will soon find out. That bearded genius asks, will United Rant do the Bebeto Cradle thing after a particularly successful podcast in the future? I I can only hope that that is going to happen. I don't know how you do that as an audio feature. Should we try it? Yeah, no, it doesn't work. At Floundering Bear asks, just how buoyed will United be to have Vidic back in the side? Does this mean the beginning of clean sheets? I'm not sure I see any evidence that that's going to happen, Ed. What do you reckon? No, no, I, I don't think so. I think the problem is structural, not necessarily the players. And I'm also not convinced that Vidic is the player he once was. No, and I'm not sure he's first choice at the moment. And well, I'm pretty sure he's not first choice at the moment because of he's not in form and fitness yet. And he does—he has always taken a little while to get back from injury, hasn't he? And look, he's in his 30s and he's had two really serious injuries. I mean, the first one was, was a triple tear of various ligaments in his knee and, the, and then another tear, tear to the meniscus after that. So 
I don't think there's any way that he can be exactly the same player. That that knee will be stiff and swollen and probably will be this morning after yesterday's game and it will restrict his mobility, his pace, uh, especially over the first 10 yards and he just won't be quite the same again, you know? And that's, that's not his fault, but he is in his 30s and he's had two really bad injuries. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I feel about it and as you say, the problem with clean sheets is, is the structural problem. At Pieto Full Trades says, Tony V looks depressed. I think I saw his left foot touch the ball against City. Do you think there is a connection? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a Samson and Delilah sort of thing. If the ball touches Tony V's left foot, he is cursed. And uh, uh, he was given the choice as a young man. You can be a a top-level footballer, but you can never touch the ball with your left foot. And if you ever do, you've got a three-game ban. Mm, Maybe it's some kind of Faustian deal he made. At Tom Tomtard asks, will Chicharito leave United at the end of the season? Yeah, hard to say, but it wouldn't be a surprise. Thoroughly credible source in the Daily Star this week says that he's off to Atletico Madrid. Uh, so, yeah, we can probably take that one with a pinch of salt. But he's not getting a game. I mean, he got a few games and scored a bunch of goals. If that's not enough to get him some playing time, then, then uh, you know, what is it? His problem, of course, is he's the only one of United's fours that's not flexible. So he can play in one position, one position only. Everyone else can do more than that. And, and in Rooney and Van Persie, he's got two players ahead of him who are better players and, and more useful to the side so it's a tough one it'd be a real shame to lose him of course but he would still probably command a very substantial fee and that always makes it an option yeah and it makes a lot of sense as a replacement for Falcao doesn't it so there's a certain logic to that transfer you can see why the Daily Star made it up Exactly, so when United are playing Van Persie, Rooney and Falcao next season, then we'll uh, know. (laughs) (laughs) A a glorious moment in the City game, actually, when when Danny Welbeck came on in the 87th minute, and and much has been made of the fact that he nicked the ball, which led to Raphael being sort of fouled for the free kick. And, and yeah, it was a very bold substitution from Fergie and not what you'd expect. And we've often talked about, like, in the last minutes of a game and you desperately need a goal, who do you bring on? It was interesting that Fergie did not choose Chicharito in that game, but rather chose to bring on Welbeck for his all-round hustle and bustle. At we some underscore says he's worried about Welbeck not getting enough game time in his natural position and asked if we can please make it all better. I- I'm not sure we can, can we? No, I, I think there's nothing we can do. Oh, it's just going to happen. I think you just got to take consolation in the fact that the reason that he's not getting enough game time is because we've got Robin Van Persie now, so that's not such a bad thing. And the final question of this week's Rankcast, at Connor J. Donnelly asks, if you had to compare RVP to a fruit, which fruit would it be and why? I think at the moment it would have to be a mango because everyone knows the mango is the king of the fruits and Robin Van Persie is the current reigning king of that squad so he gets to be the mango. Have you ever tried holding a piece of uh, cut-up mango? It's kind of slippery. It is and as many defenders have found you can't hold on to Robin Van Persie. He's slippery. He'll slip through two defenders much like a piece of mango slipping through someone's fingers. Yes, and on that insightful note, <laughs> maybe we should wrap up this week's show. We've come to you slightly late due to my ridiculous travel schedule, but, uh, you know, hey, when you're an international football scout, what can you do? I wish that's what you were for a living, Ed. That would be brilliant. So, no preview of the Swansea game now, because we're going to do a proper rank cast, which will come out on Friday, right? That's the plan? That is the plan, and we'll talk about Swansea then, and, uh, of course, that's the beginning of a very busy Christmas programme for United. Games uh, next weekend, I believe, on Boxing Day, the 29th and the 1st. A very crucial period for United, one in which we're six points ahead going into it. Ferguson says if we're in the lead coming out at the end of it, we'll be in a very good position for the title, I, th- I think. 
think given the nature of the games, Swansea, West Brom, Newcastle and another one who I've completely forgotten, it, there's a very good chance of United coming out of that period with a very healthy and substantial lead indeed. Also, though, there is a chance of slipping up against all those sides that you mentioned because, you know, Swansea have been very effective. West Brom have been punching way above their weight and Newcastle always pull something, well, often bring their A game against us, don't they, as it were. So so it's going to be a tricky. It's, those, those are not walkover fixtures by any means, although, of course, we would be favourites for all of them. No, and we should remember what happened against Blackburn last year on Boxing Day, of course. But but still, you know, for a, as a Christmas program, that's one you'd be quite happy with. Uh, leading into the the FA Cup game on January the fifth, I think uh, against West Ham. Yeah, absolutely exciting times, and we'll be back at the end of the week to have a look forward to all of that. See you then. Absolutely, see you then.